Today's episode is brought to you in part by Logos. Logos combines digital books with intelligent software to help you study the Bible deeply. Do word studies with one click, search for virtually anything in your Bible, and enjoy dozens of features that help you see more in Scripture. Right now, you can find my book, Virtuous Persuasion, A Theology of Christian Mission, as well as get a listener discount on Logos by visiting logos.com slash mneebauer. That's logos.com slash mneebauer. We believe in a lot of things. We believe that the sun will rise tomorrow, that the grass is green. We believe that our friends love us. Many of us believe in God. But what do we actually mean when we say those two words, I believe? What is the difference between believing in a scientific fact and believing in the God of the universe? Welcome to This We Believe, the podcast where we explain the essential texts of the Christian faith. My name is Dr. Michael Niebauer. We're going to begin with a series of episodes that explore the core contents of the Christian faith. We'll be using as our guide the text of the Apostles' Creed, which is one of the oldest and most robust expressions of the Christian faith. The Apostles' Creed begins with two simple words, I believe. So we're going to begin by talking about what it means when Christians say that they believe in God. Or to put it another way, we're going to address what it means to say that we have faith in God. But first, I want to contrast two different kinds of belief, two different kinds of faith. Let's call one the faith in formulas, and the other the faith in friends. Let's take faith in formulas. Sometimes we, we can believe in something that can be reduced to a formula or a figure. I can say, I believe 2 plus 2 equals 4, or I believe that this desk that I'm sitting at is made of wood. Now, think about the differences between that kind of belief and the belief that we have in friends. When we say statements like, I believe that my mother loves me, or I believe that my best friend loves me. Now, those formulaic faiths that we have, those kinds of things can be proven much more easily. If I want to prove that 2 plus 2 equals 4, I can look at a math textbook. Or if I want to know if something is made of wood, I can go to a laboratory. However, the faith that we have in friends can't really be proven in this way. If I want to prove that my mother loves me, or I believe that my mom loves me, I can perhaps talk about my childhood or show some birthday cards that my mom gave me, but I can't prove in a laboratory or a chalkboard that my mom loves me. Now here's the key. Even though I can't prove it in a lab, the faith I have in friends is deeper, richer, and more life-changing than the faith I have in formulas. Our faith in friends is deeper and richer. Now, once I learn a formula, there's really nothing left to learn. Math textbooks haven't really changed that much in decades. But when I'm committed to a friendship, I can always learn more and more about that person, and I can always get closer to them. There's not really a, an endpoint to love or, or a limit on joy. Now, this isn't to say that formulaic or scientific belief is not valuable. It's just that it gives us a thin and incomplete picture 
of the way things really are. So, for instance, if I wanted to accurately express my love for someone else, I could speak about that scientifically. I could talk about synapses firing off in the brain, or I could talk about neurochemistry. But I don't think that really gets at the depths of love. If I want to tell somebody I love them, I don't read out from a neuroscience textbook. I read poetry, or I quote Shakespeare. Because these things better express the riches and depth of love. Now, here's the other major aspect of friendship faith. Not only is it deeper and richer, it's also life-changing. Our lives aren't really changed by textbooks. They're changed by people. We are changed not just by what we learn, but more importantly, who we learn it from. But there's a catch. Life-changing relationships require us to change our lives. They require a commitment on our part. If we want relationships in which we grow, we need to be willing to commit to changing for another person. Think here of the ways in which we learn from teachers and coaches. We have to commit to following them. We need to allow ourselves to learn from them. If we want relationships in which we grow closer to others, then we're going to have to change in response to what we learn about them. One of the great examples of this kind of friendship faith is the marriage commitment. Think about what happens before and after a wedding. You start by meeting someone and you learn something about them, and you learn enough to decide that you want to make a lifelong commitment to them. But after the wedding, you get to continue to learn more and more about them. You spend a lifetime both learning more about them and drawing closer and closer to them. There is no limit to the depth of love between husband and wife. However, this commitment requires that husband and wife be willing to change in response to what they learn about each other. So, for instance, when I got married, I learned that my wife loved to receive flowers spontaneously. And so if I care about my wife, I need to put into action this knowledge. I need to become a person who gives gifts, who gives flowers spontaneously, because I want to be closer to her. Now, the key to understanding what Christians mean when we say that we believe in God is to see this as a kind of friendship faith rather than a formulaic faith. We don't just want to believe in some facts about God. We want to believe in God in the context of a relationship, in the context of a friendship with him. Friendship with God is actually deeper and richer than even our best friendships on earth. You see, God is infinitely good and infinitely wise. This means there's always more and more that we can learn, and there's always more and more ways we can draw closer to him. In fact, we will continue to do this even after we die. Heaven is not static, but dynamic. We will continue for eternity, loving God more and more and drawing closer and closer to him. To, faith, to have faith in God, in turn, means that it is the most life-changing relationship we can have. We get to know the God that created us. But of course, this kind of faith requires a commitment on our behalf. We need to be willing to change in response to who God is. 
Now, in our friendship with God, this desire and need for us to change is magnified. Because we know that God is always good, we should always trust him and always want to change in response to what we learn about him. Now, the commitment that Christians make to God is called baptism. Baptism is in many ways like a wedding. You see, God gave us baptism as our entrance into a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And it is our entrance as well into the body of Christ, which is the church. Now, baptism is very similar to marriage. When we are baptized, or if we are baptized as an infant, when we make an affirmation of our baptism as an adult, We are making a kind of marriage commitment to God. Before baptism, we learn about God. But of course, we can't learn everything about God since we're not God. But at some point, we make a decision to make a commitment to God, a lifelong commitment that is sealed in a baptism ceremony. And just like a marriage, this baptism is not the end of a relationship, but is the beginning of a lifelong committed relationship to God. But a natural question emerges within the context of baptism. What are the contents of this Christian belief? Or better yet, who is this God that we are committing our lives to when we are baptized? And this is where the Apostles' Creed comes into play. The Apostles' Creed is recited by Christians just before they are baptized. It is, in a sense, part of our wedding vows to God. The point of the creed is to help us better understand who God is in the context of our relationship with him. And because God is infinite, we can always learn more and more about God when we turn back to the creed and read it time and time again. Now, the Apostles' Creed emerged out of a sustained reflection of the Bible, particularly Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Here, the final message Jesus gives to his followers was to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, if someone who has committed their life to following Jesus is supposed to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then it is important to understand what it means to worship one God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What happened was that the early Christians took this statement from Matthew 28, and they continued to pray and read the Bible in order to further understand what it means to call God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This led them to write short statements that unpacked its meaning, and these statements were then said aloud by Christians just before they were baptized. As Christianity grew, individual churches around the world began writing their own versions of these statements. And what is fascinating is that, despite these churches having little to no contact with each other, they wound up writing professions that were nearly identical to one another, so much so that by 200 AD you can find nearly identical baptismal creeds in churches in France, Italy, and Africa. And the Apostles' Creed emerged as as kind of the definitive text of these various baptismal professions. Another fascinating aspect of the creed is that when we discover that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we discover it through how God has revealed himself to us in the Bible. 
God reveals himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit um, in the context of history, and that history plays itself out in the Bible. So not only does the, the creed unpack for us the significance of calling God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it does so in a way that also tells us the story of the Bible. It begins by talking about creation, which is described in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and it ends by talking about life everlasting, which is described in the last chapters of the last book of the Bible, Revelation. So next week, we're going to talk about what it means to call God the Father, and since creation is associated principally with the Father, we're also going to talk about the beginning of creation in Genesis 1. I want to close by drawing together what we have learned about belief, faith, and the Apostles' Creed. I mentioned that for close friendships, the more we learn about someone else, the more we should want to change in response to what we have learned. Now, since the Apostles' Creed is meant to give us knowledge of God in the context of our friendship with him, this knowledge should foster in us a desire to change in order to be in harmony with God. The old Christian term for this is attunement. The more we learn about God, the more we are called to bring our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions, our bodies, even our physical senses into harmony with him. This is how we become attuned to God and in turn learn to love him and love others more. We can think here of a violinist playing in a symphony. In order to play the violin beautifully, they have to tune their strings. They do this by listening to the sound of an oboe or piano playing one note. This is called a a tuning pitch. It's usually concert A. And so the violinist will hear this note, and they'll internalize it in their mind, and then they'll use that note to tune their violin. One way to think of the creed, and, and really all Christian belief, everything we are going to explore in this podcast, is to think of it like that tuning note. It is telling us what perfection is. It is telling us how to live our lives beautifully and joyfully. We have to listen to these statements, and we have to internalize them. We have to try to understand them as best we can, internalize them, and then use them to tune our bodies, to tune our minds, to tune our emotions to God. And as we do that, our lives will actually become like a beautifully played violin. Our lives will exude more beauty and joy as we get more and more attuned with the God of the universe. Next time, we're going to discuss the significance of calling God Father, as well as discuss how and why God created the world. Before then, Ask yourself how your life might change in response to relating to God as Father. And ask yourself how a better understanding of the purpose of creation might transform the ways you interact with that creation. I'd like to thank you for joining me today on This We Believe. If you have enjoyed this episode, it would be a huge help for us if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts, or if you would share a link to this episode with one friend. This will go a long way towards helping others find us. If you'd like to connect further, you can visit our Facebook page at This We Believe Podcast or send us an email at thisweBelievePodcast at gmail.com. 
Take care and God bless.